Welcome to Bottom Line's Conversations with the Experts. I'm Sarah Heiner, President of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. And I'm thrilled to be talking today to leading tax expert Ed Menlowitz. He's a partner at Witham Smith & Brown with over 40 years of public accounting experience. And among his many accomplishments, Ed has testified before the House Ways and Means Committee on Tax Reform, Reduction, and Fairness. He's the author of 25 books, and he is a very longtime member of Bottom Line Personal's panel of experts. Ed is also the author of one of our newest blogs, The Payless Tax Man, which can be found at our website, bottomlineinc.com, and they are loving your blog, Ed, so congratulations. All right, so we are doing a series of podcasts. We're doing talking about marriage, divorce, prenups, all the tax and financial considerations for people getting married and getting unmarried. So let's talk now about what I'll call second marriage. I guess it could be third marriage or fourth marriage for those who do. If, if Elizabeth Taylor was around, she could be listening to us. Um, she'd be on, what, eight or nine. Uh, but most importantly, the, the considerations of second marriage, because financial considerations, and I'm talking in particular if one or both spouses have children, because that really is, is what the impact is, the financial implications of a second marriage and what you need to do to prepare for that marriage and manage the monies in that marriage when you have when there are kids involved um, so that you're ready should you divorce later on or should a spouse die and what happens to the property that's right very important I, um, anyway hi sarah how are you <laughs> i'm well and how are you good i haven't seen uh, you in weeks that's right um well the the big issue with the second with the We'll call it second marriages, although it could be more. Uh, the big issue is to keep the uh, individual assets in, in the family line or the bloodline and not have it go to the, uh, to, to the, to the family of the uh, spouse. It, 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 that, that's, what's really, that's, what, that's really the main thing you want to do. It's true, if and you, it happens. I have friends, I have family who this has happened to, and it's so painful. To, to watch and to watch them be hurt by that? Well, it, it ha things happen and life comes along. Now, you, you could have people, they, they spend their whole life amassing money. They, there's a spouse, a long time, a 50-year marriage, the spouse dies. They, they meet somebody that is going to take care of them and they get married right away. They have a prenuptial agreement, do everything right. And, and then they uh, slowly start giving money to, to the spouse because the spouse is the one who's taking care of them. And then, and then the person dies 12 years later and the second spouse inherits a bulk of the estate and the children are crazy, go, go crazy about it. But the bottom line is this woman, let's say it's the woman that took care of the man, she took care of him for 12 years and she got paid for it. I don't see anything so terrible about it. But in most normal situations, you you want to have a substantial amount of money staying in the bloodline, which means uh, leaving it to your children and your grandchildren. So are these things that should be dealt with in a prenuptial agreement? And again, we're going to talk, do a whole segment on prenuptial agreements. But in general, is are those the things that need to get laid out in a prenup? And I'm thinking it's not just the money, Ed, but I had somebody who lost his family heirlooms to what I'll call Cruella DeVille, right? Dad died, yeah. second wife. She died many years later, and all the family stuff went to her kids. And my friend, nothing. 
That's right. Well, you want to prevent you you want to prevent that, but a prenuptial is is just as important. It's like a will if you uh, it's like a will for a person or a buy sell agreement for a business. A prenuptial is an agreement that you must have that says what happens if the marriage doesn't work out, just as a will says what happens when you die, and a buy sell agreement says what happens when you want to split up. But but you got to cover it, and then you hope you never look at it again, and and it never never you know means anything. Although in certain states, a spouse has absolute rights to a third of the assets of their of their spouse, regardless of how long they were married or, or what the situation is. So you got to have a prenuptial agreement that overrules the state law. And can so, you and again, can it be? Can you put into that prenup not just the money or the marital assets that are accumulated? but other assets that are shared. Like what if, how do you handle the house? And what if both people come into the marriage owning separate property? Or what if they buy a house together? Like does all that get spe- specified all that in the gets, Everything that gets covered, it, everything gets covered except what they buy together and they put in both names. That doesn't, that doesn't fall under the prenup, but anything that they each own separate and continue to own separate or continue to acquire separate is covered by the prenup. A lot of prenups could say, with a wife, could, could be, I, I handled the divorce for, for a super wealthy, super famous uh, woman, and, and, and she, you know, she had to give her husband, you know, she had to give her husband a lot of money. She said, you get no- if we get divorced, you get nothing. She, you, and she was very wealthy, and, and that held up. Because it was clear about it. Because it, it, it was clear. It was, there was a prenuptial done the right way, which right. we which we should talk about in a different a different time. But a prenuptial is is essential to have when there's a more than a first marriage. Absolutely. Do the considerations going into a, a second or a subsequent marriage? Um, are the financial considerations different if you're you're remarrying when the kids are young versus when the kids are older versus when the kids are grown? Yes, I think it makes a difference. Money why money shouldn't make a difference, but it does. If if the kids are young, first of all, you you don't know how they're going to turn out. You don't know what they're going to be doing. You are facing you could be facing a quarter million dollars college bill for each each child. If, you know, the, if they're young enough that they're going to go to college someday, so so that that that's a big consideration. So should if you the, pre-designate? Like, if I'm getting remarried and my kids are young, should I be sure to allocate or somewhere pre-designate that if I predecease my spouse, that my kids, that there's going to be money that's allocated for education for them? And does that go well, into prenup, or does that go into just into my will or something else? But you need to no, you can't. That. The prenup it should go into prenup to yes. say what's what's go, what's going to. Where, you know where it's going to go. Right. So the prenup should say that. The will really can't say that if the state law says the spouse is supposed to get a certain amount of money. And let's say there's not enough money to pay to, to pay. Let's say there's four four grandchildren or four children. Let's say there's four children, and, and it's going to cost a million dollars to send the four children. And and all you have is a million too. And the state law says the spouse gets uh, a third. So you got to have a prenuptial that that covers that. So that's very important for when you have young kids. And also, if you have much older children and they have children, that then the same thing you might have done for your children, 
you're going to do for your grandchildren, except for your grandchildren, you're going to be in a much better position to do it for them because you're richer now and, and you're, you're more certain in, in your future. In terms of children who are in, let's say, middle-aged children in the 40s, um, you might do something completely different for them because anything you could do for them at that age could really affect their life and the course of their life for the rest of their life. When they're 60 or 70, say when you have children who are 60, whatever you leave them is not going to affect their life. It'll make them more comfortable because they'll have more money, but it's not going to alter their life. If someone who's 40 wants to quit their job that they never liked and start a business and now they, they, they get a lot of money, you know, enough money to quit the job and, and, and front them up for a year while they build their business or start a new career, you, you, that money could be put to much better use for someone who's in the 40s than someone who's in the 60s. And even someone who's, who even when you have children that, that are infants. But again, it's still needing to think about what you need to, when, you, when you're getting remarried, thinking about the age of your kids and what will need to be covered potentially between now and death of you and your spouse. That's right. right. Absolutely. Now, one of the easy things to do is to have life insurance. And a lot of people don't think of that, but you could, there's very cheap term insurance that has fixed premiums for as much as 30 years. And you don't even need a lot of money. You just need, you know, you, you could have a, uh, a $2 million term policy, fixed premium for 30 years, and maybe pay $125 a month. So that but that will cover your futures. Again, I'm I'm more trying to figure out what what are the I mean everybody every parent theoretically should have life insurance to cover the kids. Yeah. Education. Right. Well, but if you're getting if you're going to another a second marriage a later ma- a more a second marriage, you should definitely have a prenup. It should spell out all these issues. But in in addition to the prenup, you have to also discuss with the spouse who's going to pay the expenses. Who's where the money's going to come out of. You should definitely keep the the bank accounts separate. You should keep all the finances separate. The investments should all be kept separate. So when you get it, remarried, I'm sorry, second time. So you're saying, unlike first marriage, where you say that people should merge all of their money, second marriage, you say keep your money separate? Keep it all separate, yes. Once you combine it, whatever you combine is is, is passing on an inheritance to that person there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to do, that's okay. But people don't realize it. Also, people that are going through a second marriage had bad experiences. They definitely had a bad experience. They're a little leery. At one thing, to one way of avoiding problems is keep the money separate. I'm going to pause you right there, and we're going to come back and talk about this because I think this is a huge topic. So we're going to be back in just a minute, take a little break, and come on back. I'm talking to leading tax expert Ed Menlowitz about financial issues everyone should consider before they get married for the first time, married for the second time, third, fourth, fifth, and even if they get divorced. Ed has been providing Bottom Line's readers with his tax wisdom for decades, helping them pay their fair share, but not any more than that. His insights appear regularly in our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, which is filled with information from America's leading experts on not just taxes, but on all aspects of your life including investing, living a healthy life, travel, insurance, retirement planning, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. 
Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. All right, I'm back here, Ed, with Ed Mendlowitz, partner in Witham Smith & Brown, one of Bottom Line's leading experts, tax experts, the author of our Pay Less Tax Man blog. And we were talking about financial considerations for second or third or fourth or fifth marriages. But what people need to think about, because when you get married for a, for a subsequent time and there are kids involved, there are different considerations financially versus when you're getting married for the first time. And one thing, Ed, you were just talking about is should you merge your money? And unlike first marriage, where you say absolutely merge your funds, for repeat marriages, you say keep it separate. Um, because again, that way the each individual gets to keep their funds and then it doesn't become vulnerable should there be a divorce. Um, should they have a joint household account so mine, yours, and then we each put money into a kitty or some designated amount that will pay the hour expenses? Well, let's put it this way. You should start out by this, before the marriage, you should have a money meeting and, and you should decide how the expenses will be paid, uh, who's gonna pay it, how, how the money, where the money comes from. If it's decided that it'll be paid equal, it'll be paid out of both paychecks. Then you can have a joint account, put both paychecks in that joint account, even if there's an inequity between the two of them, put the money in that joint account, and then you pay your, your new household bills from that account. If you decide that one of it's gonna come out of one, you know, one person's money and the other person's not gonna pay any of the money, uh, any of the household expenses, then that person should have the checking account and not have the other person have access to it, but they pay all the bills. And the other person spends the money and charges and all that stuff, and, and it that, gets paid. And that way and both they, of them are aware of the financial flow through the house. Yeah, usually in, in second marriages, there's always one person that has has a lot more than the other. Uh, it, it could be that they both have the same amount of money, and then it really doesn't matter too much. But if one has much more than the other, Usually that person is going to pay the household expenses, and and if they're paying the expenses, then they should have, it should be their checking account, and they should have control over that. If the uh, spouse wants her own checking account, or, or him, if he, you know, if the spouse wants their own checking account, then they have their own money, they have their own job, uh, they get Social Security or pension, whatever they get, they could put that money in that account, and then. Right out, buy whatever they want. Sometimes they want separate account because they want to buy a present for the other person and don't want the other person to know about it, uh, or they don't, you know, until they get it. Right. So. Uh, well, that's in all that, marriages, first marriage too. Man. Yeah, but but when they combine everything and have everything together, I um, know you got to keep a little kitty okay. in your sock drawer. Well, it it works out doing it with the kitty. It works out. <laughs> bad. I think it, I I don't think it's it's good for a marriage. To say this is mine and this is yours. Yes. I think if it's a to me, it's a partnership that uh, you know it's an equal partnership regardless of who makes the money um, because there are other factors that go into it. So um, totally agree. I, I I agree with keeping keeping that together, but not in a second marriage uh, because of long term risks and, yes. and because of the and, and because generations. you're dealing with people right. who who've been well, hurt. 
Well, and right? also bad experiences. Yes. And one of those spouses is going to die, and then again, you've got their kids that you have to, you know, that, that those the, maintaining the family wealth within. Well, that gets, back, that gets right. back to a prenuptial. So yes. let, let's skip the prenuptial, but in terms, for now, but in terms of working in the marriage or, or, or living in the marriage, you should um, have separate, I say you should have separate sharing yep. accounts. You should all have your separate credit cards. And, you know, you have separate credit cards, but if it's agreed that one of the parties is going to pay all the expenses, then they'll pay the expenses of the other credit card. But so, okay. yeah, actually, I like having separate credit cards because if you if you're away or someone's um, card gets lost or stolen, you're not out of business. That you have backup cards. That's right. Well. Now, it, it, there's something else. If um, you got you got a, a couple living together, they're living in a house. Let's say it's 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 the woman's house, and and she dies first. What happens to the, to the to the husband? Uh, or to to the widow to the widower, is he allowed to stay in the house? Does he have to move out of the house? Does he give him time to move out? So where suppose, do you designate that? Su- suppose it's a uh, five million dollar house, and he could be very nice in a million dollar apartment. How do you handle this stuff? That would all be dealt with in a prenuptial agreement, and 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 that's why those things are important. But in terms of the living arrangements, you, you can't have a house together. You can't live in a house together without making arrangements. Even if you don't have a prenuptial agreement, you can make an agreement afterwards where, where an occupancy agreement where, where where the husband or the widower could, could live in that house, say, for five years, at right. which time he has to move out and it gets sold. Right. Or you could say he could live in the house. Let's say it's a $5 million house, and he could live very nicely in a million-dollar apartment. Uh, you say, okay. You he, are he so had, focused in the New York market, Ed. <laughs> Well, I'm thinking of a client who is in Florida, who's in Florida. I know it's just so to... funny the way the numbers that roll out when when I'm talking to people in the New York metro area. All right, let's say let's yes. say it's a million dollar house, and, and the uh, husband could live very nicely in a three hundred thousand dollar apartment, and he doesn't have any money. Yeah. So you say fine, he can live there for a year, and then he has to move out so he can sell the house. However, the the estate has to lend him interest free. Right. $300,000 that he could use to buy an apartment that would be repaid upon his death or upon his remarriage or within 10 years. So there's so all ways to take, to take care of him. Hey, question. Can a prenup be revised so that let's say they went into the marriage and they didn't own a house, they didn't have a house together or whatever, or they both owned houses and then they sold one and they stayed in one person's. If, they cha- if something changes so that you want it, you need to change the prenup because now they're only living in one house in this example, right? Sarah, you're the editor. What is the meaning of the word pre? <laughs> well, they did it before. You could have a Can... you could have an anti-marriage uh, agreement. You could have an anti-nuptial agreement where you could agree with, to something. I know very, very, very few people that will agree to to anything like that after after they're married. I was, and it wasn't like they changed their mind. It really was like circumstances changed so that they need to adapt what they agreed to because now the property that they owned is different. Well, it's easy to adapt if you're going to give more to the other person because you could just do it. You could put right. things in joint name. You could, you could, you know, you could op- you could put payable on death accounts. You you could always give more to take away a right or or 
to to say, well, the, the, let's say the husband has acquired $20 million of assets and, and now he wants to sign an agreement with the wife that uh, if they get divorced, she gets $3 million. She'd be crazy. To oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't mean that. I wasn't I wasn't going all all evil on you. Ed. But but, it, but in terms of living arrangements, you could you could very easily have a lease agree a, a rental agreement or a lease agreement or you could set up a living trust. You could put anything you want in a living trust. You could put the house in a living trust and then give the uh, spouse, uh, you, you know, the, the spouse without the ownership the right to live there the way I said for for five years or a year or get interest-free money. Uh, so y y there's a lot of things you could do to give more to a person. It, it, and that's very easy to do, very okay. easy. It's very hard to limit what someone gets if they are if they would be entitled to more. Got it. That, uh, but, but by the way, a lot of prenuptial agreements sometimes have sliding scales. If the marriage lasts under five years, this is what you get if it lasts right. five to 10 years, if it lasts 10 to 15, after 15 years, you get nothing. Actually, uh, I, I just thought of Jack Welch. Jack Welch had a, um, with his first wife, Jeff, forget her name, but with his first wife, he had an agreement uh, that after 10 years, if the marriage lasted 10 years, then the prenups canceled. His wife, his first wife was a lawyer and she, she filed for divorce like 10 and a half years after the marriage. And, and uh, she got a lot in yeah, the settlement. I recall. Uh, so so, so the, also, Donald Trump had a prenup with Marla and Maples that said if if there was it would it would disappear if the marriage lasted five years. He filed for divorce just short of five years. Mm. Did nothing wrong. I'm not right. criticizing anything. I'm using it as an example that you have to, um, you, you know, you you. You could put anything you want in these agreements, but you could amend them very easily to give more with living trusts. Okay. V so, very simple ways. Couple other quick questions. Should you, again, keeping in mind that now I've got a subsequent marriage and that I've got children, and so let's assume the children are maybe a little bit older, should an older person remarrying change their beneficiaries, beneficiaries on their insurance or retirement accounts to their new spouse? Well, this has to do with the prenup. Uh, what are you going to give the What are you going to give your spouse when you die, or, or if you get divorced? So, again, this is something for the prenup. I'll tell you where. Or the, a lot of or people, the financial conversation beforehand, where you work through everything. Yes, but I'll tell you. Uh, you mentioned two. You mentioned something, and it made me think of something else. So, and if you have a prenup, you can't give away your you can't give a right your way the right to leave your pension to someone other than a spouse for, for at least half of the money. So the, the prenup doesn't cover that. And then at the wedding, after you sign the wedding uh, license and the, and the, uh, pre, the whoever the officiates says they now pronounce your husband and wife, you, you now sign the, the, the uh, agreement for the pension. And the other thing that where people really screw up a lot is with powers of attorney. I was just going to ask you about powers of attorney. Th this is a major thing. This is nothing to do with a prenup. You got husband and wife. They have uh, healthcare proxies. They have all yeah. sorts of, of agreements. And then they have a power of attorney. Uh, and usually, you, you know, you you would have the children have the power of attorney, but the children could live in uh, in New York and California, and and the, and the new husband and wife could live in uh, in in Florida or Nevada. And they're, they're married six, seven years. And for convenience, 
they go to a lawyer, they get a new will, and the lawyer gets a power of attorney, and, and the spouse has the right in the power of attorney to make gifts of all their assets, including to themselves. Now, this should not be in any power of attorney, but if the, if the one with the most money gets, gets incapacitated, the spouse could take all their money and give themselves a gift. Right. And so that, and that that completely disinherits the kids, regardless of prenuptial agreements or uh, anything else. So the the power of attorney is the killer. That that's what you got to watch out for. And so you have to be careful that and they, is it that was that an unintended consequence? I mean, people don't necessarily think about it, but they do. I mean, that they need to keep they, their kids, if, their grown kids, involved in their powers of attorney and not just hand it over to the spouses. If you want, if you want to look out for your kids and you don't care about the, the other person's kids, you know about it. I would suggest that everybody listening to this podcast, uh, when they they go home, pull out their power of attorney form and look toward the end, maybe the third paragraph or fourth paragraph from the end of this two-page thing with 18 paragraphs. It says that the power, person with the power of attorney has the right to make gifts in their in their own discretion. And that we do not, you do not want that. Do not. You do not want that. I don't care who you are, what the reason is. You do not want them. That will override. If the power of attorney is acted on, if the power, if you die without them doing anything, it doesn't mean anything. But but they could have all the rights to take all your money away while you're alive, or incapacitated or whatever. And I've seen this happen time after time after time. So important. So important. With all the gems that we've been talking, but. So important, Ed. All right, one one more question. We all don't have a lot of time left. Should, I, I, should you, I go ahead. Should someone even get remarried when they've oh, got? Wait. Hmm? I, I don't. I, I think you can ask me a different question. I, I don't want to tell people they should get married and not get married. From a financial point of view, forget about love. No. Forget about the eyes of God. Should I'm from not, a financial well, point of yes. view, because if it, you've got if both spouses have kids. Well, is there a real benefit to it? No, it's an individual decision, number one. Number two, there are situations when it might pay to get married. Uh, you, could, you could leave, let's say all the money is in, uh, is in the wife's name and, and uh, she dies. If she leaves it all to her husband, uh, there's no estate tax. If she leaves it all to her children, there could be substantial estate tax. And, and she leave it to her husband in trust where, where kids get it eventually. So this is not to do or not. But I could tell you a different question, which I thought you were going to ask me, Sarah. Should you follow? Though, let me go back though for one second. They, they, if they want to leave it for the kids, I mean, they can put it in trust for the kids. But also the exclusion is quite high. So most people, um, aside from your high-powered clients, um, <laughs> I'm teasing you, Ed. But... Most people in you know across the country do not have estates that are larger than the lifetime exclusions. Actually, in in nineteen in two thousand sixteen, I think only thirty thousand people in the entire United States filed gift, filed estate tax returns. Right. So so that so concern about be, estate taxes to kids well, would you, not be a factor. Yeah, but Siri, ask me a question, and it doesn't have a yes or a no answer. Well, there there is so. there are exceptions, but of let course. me tell you a different decision. You should make, should you file a joint return or not? And should you file joint gift tax returns? Those are bigger decisions. A joint return, I don't see any reason why you should not file a joint return at all. I could give mm-hmm. you reasons why you shouldn't or should, but 
usually it doesn't if, if one of them owes a lot of back taxes well one of them is supposed to get a big refund and the other one owns a lot of back taxes and the government would take the refund then don't file a joint return and then a husband and wife may not want to split the gifts because that would reduce the eventual estate tax for the spouse that has, that's that's agreeing to the other spouse's gifts so there are reasons for everything Oh, without a doubt. And incredibly complicated. So That's right. I think something that you mentioned in our first segment is the importance of having these conversations and setting up all of your plans with expert oversight because there are so many subtleties of each of these decisions. That's right. I just want to end on one note where I said they should have separate bank accounts. I think that they should have a joint what I call emergency fund where they have a certain amount of money in it that if something happens to one of the, the people, there'll be a, a checking account with sufficient money in it that the other spouse could get a hold of right away. Right. Okay. Ed Mendlowitz, thank you so much. We could go on for hours. I've already talked to you longer than I intended, so hopefully people have hung out with us. But so important, you know, with as many people as are getting divorced, it's complicated when you get remarried. So communicate, like with the first marriages, communication is key, but so many factors about whether or not you merge your money or not, in this case, not necessarily, in terms of um, what you should do with your beneficiaries on your insurance, what you should do with powers of attorney. Don't let a power of attorney to have the power of gifts. Um, Ed Menlowitz, let people come, come sign up for your blog, The Payless Taxman, at our website, bottomlineinc.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah.